Hello, and welcome back to Health Affairs This Week, where a rotating cast of editors goes beyond the headlines to explore news of particular interest in the health policy world. On this hot summer day of Thursday, August 5th, I'm Chris Fleming. And I'm Ellen Bayer. Well, Chris, it's been a busy week on Capitol Hill, where a bipartisan group of senators reached a deal on a historic $1.2 trillion infrastructure package. And if it's signed, it would be the biggest national investment in infrastructure since the interstate highway system was created in the 50s. So as some listeners might remember, Jessica Bylander and I talked about the infrastructure deal on the podcast about a month ago when it was still in the talking stages. But now it's reached a major milestone and actual legislative language was released this past Sunday night and it's under consideration in the Senate as we speak. So I'm really encouraged by this agreement, Chris. I mean, I've lived in Washington for most of my adult life and worked on the Hill back in the day and it's easy to get kind of jaded about these things, but this agreement, at least for the moment, has me feeling really hopeful that the two parties can actually work together and get it done. Of course, there's still a long way to go before it hits the president's desk. Well, for sure. I mean, but at least now we're, we're talking about the parties working together, as you point out. Uh, nevertheless, it's been a long, messy process. And the result is, uh, as is often the case in these instances, a very long and complicated bill, about 2,700 pages. So let's look at uh, some of the highlights through a health policy lens. Now, as you know, Ellen, uh, so many of the things that uh, affect health happen outside the doctor's office. In fact, by far the biggest percentage of impact on people's health uh, is a result of the so-called social determinants, the conditions and and environments where where people live, where they work, uh, where they play. All of these have major uh, impacts on our health and functioning, our quality of life. Now, the infrastructure bill would really affect a lot of these things. Uh, so in, in effect, we can think of it as not just an, an infrastructure bill, but a health bill. This is a sprawling piece of legislation. It stands to affect health in many ways. So let's touch on some of the highlights. Okay, absolutely. That's how I think about it too, Chris. I mean, with all the focus on roads and bridges and other transportation type things, one thing that people might not have noticed is the investment that the bill would make in clean drinking water, which as you know, is such a basic and essential part of good health. And as I'm sure you remember, Chris, um, the public health crisis in Flint, Michigan, a few years ago, shined a spotlight on the issue of unsafe drinking water. Lead from old pipe systems can leach into household drinking water and create major health problems, can affect children's brain development in a way that causes behavioral learning problems, creates risks for pregnant women, increases the chance for premature birth. It can actually lead to health problems for adults of all ages by increasing the risk for high blood pressure, reduced kidney function, and reproductive health problems. Now, the problem of lead pipes uh, contaminating drinking water goes way beyond Flint, right? Sure does. I mean, the issues in Flint escalated to the point of national headlines, but we've heard about these kind of problems in cities all over the country, like Newark, Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, and Milwaukee. In fact, it's been estimated that over 6 million households in the United States have lead pipes, and many of these are in disadvantaged communities. So to address the issue, the infrastructure bill would spend $55 billion to clean up drinking water with dedicated funding to replace all of the country's lead pipes and service lines, including in the tribal nations. Yeah, I thought that was noteworthy as well, Ellen. And another thing that caught my eye was the focus on climate change. As you know, the December 2020 issue of Health Affairs was devoted to the relationship between climate and health. In their article, uh, their overview article on that issue, 
Christy Ebai and Jeremy Hess talked about the ways that climate change can affect health. Uh, climate change increases extreme weather like heat waves, heavy rain and droughts leading to wildfires. And these events can cause serious injuries and death. They can exacerbate chronic medical conditions and worsen mental health. Now, as we've seen too many times in recent years, hurricanes caused by climate change uh, disrupt critical public health, health care, water, sanitation, and food distribution systems, and they can make existing uh, problems with food security even worse. And as Dr. Uh, Ebai and Hess point out in their article, heat waves are now the leading weather-related cause of death in the U.S., uh, and they increase the risk of premature birth and low birth weight, which can have lasting health effects. These problems are affecting some parts of the population more than others, right, Chris? Yeah, um, definitely. Populations like older people, people with mobility challenges, the poor, the isolated, uh, black and indigenous populations and other people of color stand to be hit particularly hard. All told, the infrastructure bill would devote over $50 billion to help protect people from droughts, floods and wet wildfires, and it would make major investments in weatherization as well. Another thing that struck me as really important from a health perspective, Chris, is the investment in broadband. I mean, we don't always think of broadband as a health issue, but especially during the pandemic, uh, having spotty or no internet made it extremely difficult, if not impossible, for many people to do their jobs, to maintain the social connections that are so important for mental health, and to get the health care they needed. As you know, a lot of people were worried about visiting healthcare providers in person during the pandemic, and there was a tremendous increase in the use of telehealth, particularly in the area of mental health, but access to telehealth was uneven. Many parts of the country, especially rural areas, still don't have access to reliable broadband. In a health affairs blog post in May 2020, David Velasquez and Ativ Mehotra made the point that lack of broadband was associated with fewer telehealth visits in rural areas. They reported that the state of Montana, a very rural state, had the slowest average internet speed in the country, with a third of the people living there not having reliable broadband coverage. And the White House estimates that more than 30 million Americans live in areas where there's no broadband infrastructure with even minimally acceptable speeds. So to address that issue, the infrastructure bill would devote $65 billion to expand high-speed internet throughout the country. Well, that would be a major improvement in broadband access for sure, Ellen, and, and probably have a, a lot of effects on health. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out the other side of the equation, uh, the new revenues that are designed to pay for the expenditures in the infrastructure package, the, the pay-fors in Capitol Hill speak. Uh, in this case, a good portion of the pay-fors are themselves health-related. About $200 billion, for instance, would come from unused funds from previous COVID relief bills. Uh, another $50 billion or so would come from delaying a Trump-era rule. That rule would restrict rebates from drug makers to insurers and pharmacy benefit managers in return for favorable formulary placement. Finally, a smaller chunk of change would come from making drug manufacturers refund money to Medicare uh, for unused medication in single-dose vials. That can happen uh, because sometimes the amount of the drug in the standard size vial exceeds the appropriate dosage for a particular patient. Now, pay force can be crucial uh, since legislation like this can live or die uh, according to the what's called the Congressional Budget Office score, the way that CBO says the bill will affect the federal budget and increase the deficit or not. In this case, for instance, several Republican senators have said that the CBO score will be a major factor in their decision on whether to support the package. So clearly it's a long road ahead, Chris. Um, 
senators are continuing to offer amendments as we speak. Um, we don't yet know exactly how long that process will take or what the final bill will look like at the end of the day. Uh, reports say that possibly the, the vote on final passage uh, of the of the bill could come this weekend. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is hoping to move quickly, and he wants to wrap up voting before the Senate leaves for summer recess, which originally was scheduled to start at the beginning of next week. Uh, it looks like it could go on a bit longer than that. Uh, Senator Schumer says he'll keep the Senate in session till it passes both the infrastructure bill and the budget resolution. It looks like a vote on the budget resolution could possibly come uh, sometime next week. And passing the budget resolution would set the stage for the Senate to take up a much broader infrastructure package, which has been estimated to cost about $3.5 trillion. And that's something congressional Democrats and President Biden support, but Republicans oppose. I'm glad you brought up that bigger package, Ellen. A large part of the broader package is actually devoted directly to health care, right? That's right. In fact, it's been said that if that proposal were enacted, which of course, is a big if and by no means a done deal at this point. It would be the biggest change to the healthcare system since the Affordable Care Act became law in 2010. That bigger package could potentially expand Medicare to provide dental, vision, and hearing benefits, could expand home and community-based services for seniors and disabilities. It could extend premium subsidies for plans sold on the ACA exchanges and provide health coverage to low-income people in the 12 states that haven't yet expanded Medicaid and also make changes to reduce prescription drug costs, among many other things. So Democratic leaders hope to consider this larger package through a budget process called reconciliation, which would allow for passage with votes from just 50 senators plus Vice President Harris. Then, of course, there's the House, where Speaker Pelosi said she won't take up either the bipartisan infrastructure bill or the reconciliation bill until the Senate passes both. As always, it sounds like it's still a long, drawn-out process to go. Uh, and it's unpredictable. I'm sure we haven't heard the last uh, either on the Hill or probably on this program. But for now, it seems like uh, it's a good place to wrap up. So uh, let's end there for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please tell a friend and subscribe to Health Affairs This Week wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Alan, and thanks to our listeners. Thanks, Chris. Mm-hmm.